something of that anointing, something of that fragrance of the Spirit, Lord, are gone. Father, that you will use his words, Lord. You will use his lips to be able to convey something of your heart. Thank you, Father, for the power of the spoken word, Lord. And I pray, Father, that just as God spoke at creation, the things came into being, Lord, that there would be a power, a creative word that would be spoken through Lee this morning, Lord, and our hearts would be receiving. We pray, Father, that the seeds that go out from Lee today will come into good soil in our hearts, Lord. And, Father, there would be a fruitfulness. There would be a, a harvest. There would be something which would be bad. And so, Father, I pray for your blessing and anointing. I pray, Father, for your touch, Lord, upon him today. Encourage him and uplift him, Lord, I pray in Jesus' precious name to your glory, Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Whoa! Something's out here, I tell you. It's always good to get prayed for by Dave. This. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that they should have safe travels for Israel this time. Um, last year on the way in, they thought we were terrorists. Um, the plane, if you, if, you don't hear this, if you haven't heard the story, the, uh, we had some Bolivians on our flight and they needed a visa. And so uh, they offloaded the whole plane. And uh, they had uh, armed guards when we tried to reboard the flight and everything. And we weren't liked uh, by the rest of the passengers on the flight. Um, and then coming back, uh, we were told not to tell security we stayed in Bethlehem because it was in the West Bank. Um, and so if you're in Palestine, the Israel authorities can get a little bit funny about that. So we didn't tell them when we arrived. And, and the guys who set up our accommodation said it'll be fine. They won't ask any questions. And the first question we got asked is, where did you stay? And so we had about 10 different stories in our team <laughs> um, about where we stayed. And, uh, and so, I, where's Audrey? I hope you get in. I hope they let you in if they know. Um, so that's my prayer for you anyway for, for tomorrow. I'm sure you'll be fine. You're with Paul Song. Um, so it'll be OK. Um. <laughs> OK, um, this morning I want to spend a little bit of time with you talking about the true nature of God. The true nature of God. Um, the subject is so vast that if I had a year, I wouldn't be able to do it justice. There's, there's absolutely no way, but I've got about 45 minutes. And so I'm going to focus in on a couple of things this morning that are, are vitally important for us as Christians. And there are a couple of questions really that I want to pose to you. And those questions are, are we seeing God right? Do we really know what he is truly like towards us? In some ways, we might know stuff because of, we know the right things to say. And I think as Christians, we can be very good at this, but it doesn't necessarily mean we've got a heart knowledge or we're not living from that place. Sometimes I think we need to do that 18-inch journey, right? That's from our head to our heart. And so do we really know what God is like? And do we really know what God is like towards us? Do we really know the true nature of God? This is why it's important. Because how you see God and how you believe he is with you will permeate every area of your life. It will cover your commitment to him, your relationships with others, your priorities in life, and your value system. It ripples through everything. And that all comes from how you see God and how you believe God sees you. 
we have another thing to look at when we're talking about the true nature of God, and that is that, do you know the world is watching you? As a Christian, the world is looking at you and looking at you as a signpost to what God is like. See, Jesus says you are the light of the world. Light is visible. So whether you like it or not, you are being watched. There's a guy, I don't know if you've heard of him. Um, I saw it on the news just recently, Dan Walker. Have you heard that name? Dan Walker, he uh, presents Match of the Day. And um, he's just been put forward to present BBC Breakfast, BBC Breakfast News. And these newspapers, the Telegraph, the Times, others, have done extensive articles about him. And you think, why is it? Because he's a terrible man with a poor past and loads of secrets and skeletons in his closet. No, the reason is he's a Christian. That he believes in God. That he believes that God created the world. And all of a sudden, the newspapers go, vroom. And you go, what's going on? Because he's a Christian and, and his light's visible and they're going, well, we're looking at him now. See, how he lives is vitally important because it's going to show what he believes about the nature of God now. Vitally important. He is being watched. And, and, it's, and it's right that we are watched because as, as Christians, we should carry something of the character and the conduct of God. Listen to what it says here in, in Ephesians 5.1. I'm going to rattle through some scripture today, so if you want all the verses, just let me know after. I'll give you them. But Ephesians 5.1 says this. Imitate God. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. As Christians, we are meant to be absorbing, absorbing the nature of God, replicating that, revealing that, and then giving it away. That's the call on each of our lives as Christians. So it's important that we see him in the right way. Um, I love my son, my three-year-old son. And I love watching him at this age because of, you see personality developing. You see character traits. You see habits forming all the time. But do you know that as I'm watching him, he's watching me. And he's watching how I act. He's watching what I say. He's watching my mannerisms every day. He is absorbing my nature into him. For better or worse. Hopefully more better than worse. The other day I was, um, I was with my mum and, uh, and Kean's standing there and he's going like this. And I'm like, what's he doing that for? And my mum said, because you do it. I said, I don't do this. Do I do this? And she says, yeah, you do that all the time. And I'm thinking, like, if you ever see me do that, tell me. I really don't want to do that. But, but Kean saw me do this apparently quite often and so it's become part of his nature. <laughs> I pick up Bethany from school, my daughter's 13, and I park about a quarter of a mile up the road and I can see, I know when she's coming the moment that she turns the corner, not because I can see her face but I know her walk because you know whose walk she's got? My walk and it's not a good walk. <laughs> it's not a good walk. What my children see of my nature impacts their lives. And you might think, well, 
And that's good. And as Christians, what we do is we can look at the nature of God. We can see who he is and we can absorb that nature. We can replicate that nature and we can give that away. But there's a couple of little issues in this. See, there are other influences in our lives too. I'm not the only influence in my children's life. And God is not the only influence in your lives. There are other influences too. Let me give you a couple of these influences. One influence in your life other than God is the environment in which you live in. Again, I can use Keen as an example. He was in the States for two months and he's come back and he's talking really strange. <laughs> he's talking really strange. He goes around, if something's wrong, he says, dang it! <laughs> I don't know what that means. And now he's, he's curling his R's. So if you get him to count, it says, one, two, three, four, <laughs> five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. See, the environment he was in influenced his nature, influenced what he saw, influenced what he perceived, and that, um, that influence upon him was released through him. People who live in countries know where the weather is really poor. They see God as somehow maybe more melancholic. And somber, they do. If you go to Scandinavian countries, there's not much joy if you go to church. It's somber. And, and why, when you go to California, everybody's really happy when you go to church. What is going on? It's something of the natural environment is shaping how people see God. And how about the material world? If you go to Texas, you will not walk into a church without them preaching a prosperity message to you. Why? It's because they're in a prosperous place. And so what they see in their material environment is prosperity. So that gets portrayed onto God and this is what he wants to do for them. The environment can determine to some people, whether that be a natural or material environment, what God is like and how he deals with them. Another influence upon you is tradition. And tradition can sometimes keep you locked into a thought process of how God is like. And, and it's really difficult to break it because it may have been passed on to you. It may have been passed generation to generation to generation. Let me give you some verses here. Spare the rod, spoil the child. Money is the root of all evil. Cleanliness is next to godliness. I'm blessed and highly favoured. All things work together for good. God moves in mysterious ways. Pride comes before the fall. God helps those who help themselves. All these, all these fantastic, amazing scriptures that are not actually in the Bible. None of them. You're looking at me like shocked now. None of those are in the Bible. You're going to say, yeah, there's only one you could say yeah to, and that is God works all things together for good. But if you've got to read it in context, for those who love him... And are called according to his purpose. I knew you were going to use that one, so I came back on that one. But these traditions give you an image of what God is like. So we use these things and we say, hey, this is what God is like towards us. This is how we've got to live our lives. How he deals with us. And that impacts our lives. Listen, if you're going to go through all of these later, I'm going to write them all down for you and give them to you. But none of them are in the Bible. Another influence is scripture. Now, when we come to scripture, we've got some things to deal with here. 
Because in, in some ways, the only way that you can know the nature of God is through his word. It's absolutely true. But I'm going to suggest to you that we get it wrong when we come to his word as well. God's character is unchanging. We all agree on that, right? Mm-hmm. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So you, you might be thinking, how can I read the Bible and then get an incorrect view of the nature of God? See, while God is the same always, how he deals with people through history isn't the same. It's not the same. I need to explain this a little bit. How God dealt with people under the law of Moses, the old covenant, is different to how God deals with us now. God has never changed, but his nature has been brought into question by the way in which he dealt with people at different times in history. Listen to this. Some people see the God of the Old Testament as different to the God of the New Testament. Richard Dawkins, you know, in The God Delusion, he said this, and you you probably heard this. The God of the Old Testament, I shouldn't be quoting someone who's an atheist, but it's interesting what he says. The God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all fiction. Jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, and a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser. And that's followed by a lot of words I don't understand, so I'm not going to go there. But he had a view. He's picked up the Old Testament. Actually, he's picked up how God dealt with people and said, this is who God is. See, some people have said that, that he's different, the God of the Old Testament. Um, there's a guy called Marcion in AD 144, an early Christian believer. And he believed in Jesus, but he rejected the God of the Old Testament. He said that how God was in the Old Testament to the New Testament meant that God was an inferior God to the true God of the New Testament. I know Christians that have said, I love Jesus, but I don't like the Bible. Because they read how God treats people and determine this is his character. But we can't do that. Let me say to you that his nature has never changed, but how he deals with people has. You know, I believe it was never God's intention to bring in the law of Moses. Because the people of Israel were living in, uh, under a grace relationship with God. The moment they came through the Red Sea, they needed provision, God provided. They were grumbling, moaning, but God kept providing. But the moment they went to God and just said, just tell us what to do. They put themselves in a position where they had the law imposed on them because they no longer wanted the grace relationship. They wanted to just say, whatever you want us to do, God, we'll we'll get on with it and do it. Exodus 19.18 says that we will do everything that the Lord has commanded. That wasn't grace. That was arrogance. God deals with people differently now to how he dealt with people under the law of Moses. But let me tell you, he also dealt with people differently before the law of Moses. There was 2,000 years in history, I'm giving you a little history lesson now, 2,000 years before the law of Moses was given. So let me just give you three sections. You've got Adam to Moses, Moses to Jesus, Jesus to now. There was 2,000 years before the law was given. Let me just give you an example of how God dealt with people before the law and in the law. What was the first sin committed after the fall? First sin that you read about in the Bible. Murder. Who murdered who? Cain. Cain. You guys are good. Right, so Cain murders Abel. Abel gives a sacrifice, is accepted. Cain doesn't. He gets angry. And then Cain goes out into the field, kills his brother. What happens to Cain? 
God goes to Cain and says, your, your brother's blood cries out from the ground. And he says, look, I, I'm, I'm telling you, you've got to leave my presence. So he's taken out of the presence of God. But he says, my, my punishment is too much to bear. I'm going to get hunted down. I'm going to get killed. And God says, listen, I'm going to mark you. So that if people see you out in the wilderness, they're not going to kill you. So you see the consequence of his sin, but you see the protection and the grace of God. Hold that in your thought over there. What was the first sin committed after the law was given? This is Bible trivia now, right? <laughs> Worshiping idols. Right, let me tell you the first sin that was committed after the law was given. Numbers 15, 32 to 36. You can come if you want, but... One day while the people of Israel were in the wilderness, they discovered a man gathering wood on the Sabbath day. The people who found him doing this took him before Moses, Aaron and the rest of the community. They held him in custody before they did not know what they, sorry, they held him in custody because they did not know what to do with him. Then the Lord said to Moses, this man must be put to death. The whole community must stone him outside the camp. So the whole community took the man outside the camp and stoned him to death, just as the Lord commanded Moses. Before the law was given, a man commits murder and is protected. The first sin after the law was given, a man was making a fire for his family and he's stoned to death outside the camp. You see what happens when the law is given. See how the law... What the law does, it, it stirs up sin, but we cannot keep the law, so sin results in punishment. They were never meant to live under the law. God wanted them always to live under grace. See, had God changed before the law and after the law? No. But how he dealt with people did. The law managed all kinds of sin. It was called a schoolmaster in Galatians 3.24. The law managed sin, but it never dealt with it. You know, I, I bet no one ever went out again picking up sticks on the Sabbath, right? They never went out and did it. But something inside of them would, would have wanted to because it was a law not to. Let's see what happened the other day. My cupboard in the kitchen came off the hinges a little bit. So I was there with, with Kian and I opened the cupboard and I'm like, right, I've got to get a screwdriver to put the hinge back on. So as I'm going, I'm saying, Kian, don't shut that door because I need to go and get a screwdriver. I didn't make it three steps. Three steps up the stairs and I hear bang. So he went from the kitchen to the timeout chair. The law stirs up sin. The moment I put a requirement on him, he couldn't keep it. And the moment he couldn't keep it, I had to punish him. Sin management. You see the difference of how God dealt with people under the law and before the law. And I'll tell you why this is important. Because if you think God treats you like he treated Israel under the law of Moses, then you don't have the right picture of the Father. You won't know how to relate to him and you won't be able to represent him to the world. The question now is, how do we have a true picture of what God is like? His true nature and how he is towards us. Now this is the, the key verse here. Look over at John chapter 1 verse 17. This is stunning. This is, this is the key to everything. It says this, John 1 17. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth 
came through Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Do you know that word truth? Do you know what it means? It means reality, straightforwardness. What it means is no more guessing about God. Who he is, what, he was, what he's like, you will see God truly in the person of Jesus Christ. When we were, um, I was down in Portsmouth with Joel and Mark, and uh, it was, the weather was terrible. It was Mark's idea to go. And um, <laughs> it was really terrible. And um, like it, was, it was foggy out at sea, and it was grey, and you couldn't see anything. You know, from Portsmouth, you can see the Isle of Wight normally. You couldn't see anything. And I think Joel went and put 50p in one of those viewing points. And you're looking through it and it's just white. You know, it's like the most pointless thing to do. And you can't see anything. Everything was just like murky and, and you couldn't see anything. But do you know, the moment that the sun broke through, all the fog, all the murkiness, everything dissipated and you could see everything with clarity. When the Son of God came, all the fogginess, all the murkiness, all the misunderstanding about who God is and what he was like dissipated. Bill Johnson says this, Jesus Christ is perfect theology. If you have any belief about God that is not consistent with the person of Jesus Christ, you have an incorrect view of who he is. As we look to Jesus, we have the right view of God's nature that we can absorb, replicate, reveal, and give away to the world. Okay, we've reached maybe the summit of the mountain. We're going to start our descent now. I want to look at three areas in your life that will be impacted as you look at Jesus, look at him as you absorb his nature, and as you give it away. Let me give you three Areas And they're all starting with A to make it easier for you. When you know his nature, it will impact your attitude, your approach, and your actions. Your attitude, approach, and your actions. Let's start with your attitude. Um, over in Luke 9, verse 51 to 56. Luke 9, 51 to 56. You, let me just read the story. When the days were approaching for his ascension, Jesus was determined to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead of him. And they went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make arrangements for him. But they did not receive him because he was traveling towards Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? He turned and rebuked them. And he said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. These disciples had an idea of what they thought God was like. Where did they get that from? See, they, they were going to call down judgment and fire upon these people. Why were they going to do that? Because they read about Elijah. They knew about Elijah. They knew Elijah had a problem with the Samaritans. So these Samaritan soldiers came to Elijah. You can read it in, in 2 Kings. And these Samaritan soldiers come to him. The king says, go and get Elijah and bring him to me. So these soldiers go up, up to get him. And he says, come with us, man of God. And he says, if I am a man of God, let fire fall down upon you. Boom. Finished. So the king sends another like, uh, general with, with 50 soldiers. And they go again and they, and they say the same thing. It's like, come with us, man of God. He says, if I be a man of God, let fire come down and consume you. Boom. Finished. The third guy is, 
<laughs> he probably sees Elijah and Martha and goes, please. <laughs> Listen, I'm just doing my job here. Will you come with me? And it says Elijah goes with him. But here's the the interesting thing. Jesus says to the disciples, you do not know what spirit you are of. He isn't saying to them, you're of the devil. He's saying to them, you're of the spirit of the law. You are thinking in terms of judgment and punishment. This is not the true nature of God. This is not what the Father is like. How many of you know that if Jesus was around, if he came when Elijah was there about to do that, he would have rebuked Elijah? Do you believe that or not? See, these disciples could only act in a way that they thought God was like. And it's the same with us. If we think God is judging people, judging nations, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do the same. I've heard Christians say that God is judging the nations. You heard about it with Haiti and Thailand. And you remember the 9-11 and they said, oh, God's judging America. Causing natural disasters. You know on insurance, sometimes it's called an act of God. Do you know that just last week, the wind was so strong, it blew up our bin lid onto our toilet window and smashed it. If that went through insurance, they call it an act of God. Can you imagine God smashing the window of his own cafe? <laughs> see, if we believe, we, we've got to see the true nature of God in Jesus. Uh, this is one question. How many storms did Jesus bless? If God was pouring out his wrath on people... He would have to apologise to Jesus because Jesus died for the sin of the whole world. If God was judging the nations, he would have to say that Jesus didn't do enough. Are you willing to say that? Are we reflecting his nature or are we calling down judgment on people? Um, I heard this story. It's actually a member of Paul Song's church and he said that one of these ladies from his church went out shopping and there was only one parking space in the bay, uh, in this uh, car park. And it was uh, right up next to this woman's house. So she goes and it, you know, it's a little bit tight, but she gets in there. Anyway, this woman comes out of the house screaming and shouting at her. She said, this is my space. How dare you park in this space? This is my parking space. You can't go there. She said, who do you think you are? She slammed the door. And this woman had nowhere else to go, this Christian woman. So she was like, I don't know what to do here. What would you have done? Would you have shouted back? I would have got really sarcastic and said, I don't see your name on this space anywhere. I don't see anything that says it's your space. Would you have just walked away and then under your breath been like, oh, that's just made me, riled me up, got me really angry. What would you have done? Do you know what this woman went and, do you know what she did? She went to the florist and bought some flowers. And she goes back and knocks on this woman's door. And the woman opens the door and goes, oh, not you again. Like, <laughs> and she said, I just brought you these. The woman starts to cry, lets her into her house. This is a true story, just last week. And she gets to lead her to Jesus. It's a true story. See, God says, be perfect as I am perfect. And to be perfect isn't to live in a way that you're not screwing up. It isn't to nail everything down. It's not to get everything spot on in your life. It's not to act completely right, to think completely right, to breathe right. Um, It's how we respond the context of that passage is how you respond when people are wicked and evil and mean. When you are kind to them, you can have a supernatural love for them, reflecting the nature of God. Choosing mercy over judgment. You imitate him. You reveal his nature to the world. You know, mercy is what he's shown you. You, you, you cannot give away what you haven't got. 
And you can't give away what you've forgotten about. And I think so often as Christians, we forget about the mercy that's been poured out on us by Jesus. I believe we do because there's a, there's a parable in Matthew and it just, it's just beyond me. And as I, even as I read it now, I think like, how is this possible? You know the one of the unforgiving debtor? The story of the unforgiving debtor. There's this, this king who calls all of his uh, servants to account. And he calls this, this one servant to account and this servant says, I can't pay. Have mercy on me. And the king has mercy on this servant. And then that servant, it says, he goes out and he finds someone who owes him a few thousand. And says, where's my money? And I, I read that, that parable and I go like, how is that possible to go before the king, receive all that mercy and, and then turn and then go and demand payment of someone else? And, and, and it's, it's addressed to believers. This parable is addressed to believers because at the end it says, um, your father will do the same to you if you do this to your brother. He'll put you into prison. How can we go from receiving mercy and great to judgment and debt collecting? And there's a key verse in here that we all need, and it's just for our lives. I know this is in the context of forgiveness, but it's for our lives. In, in verse 28, it says this. It said, when the man left the king, he went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand, grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. See, if you leave the king, every debt in front of you will look greater than the debt that's been paid for you. If you take your eyes off the mercy you've received, you will always be looking at the debt that is owed to you by others. You know, Neil Armstrong, when he was flying back off that amazing mission to the, to the moon, it said when he was coming back, he was so far away, he could put his thumb out, close one eye, and he could blot out the earth. He could blot out the earth because he was at such a distance. The earth, this huge mass, and his thumb. See, what Christ has done for you is like the earth. And any debt or anything someone owes is like your thumb. But if you move away from the earth, you can go like that, and that looks greater than the earth. <laughs> the debt that's owed to you looks greater than the price that was paid for you. We are never to leave the king. If we stay with the king in our thinking, we will always be aware of the mercy that's coming towards us and we will always be able to give it away. Two more things and we're going to close this up. That's your attitude. The next thing is your approach. How you see God towards you will affect your attitude and it will affect how you approach him. Do you come to God with confidence that he welcomes you and receives you? One thing I find interesting, Audrey's off to Israel, is that all the Jews, they pray by walls. All of them. They're at the Wailing Wall and they're in the, the, um, the old temple and they're at the synagogues and they're facing walls all the time. And I think there's just barriers between um, them and God, these massive structures. I remember when we went last time and I went with Joel and, he's, and he was at the Holy of Holies and it just... He had this, you had that strange experience, right, where it just felt like, whoa, as he was at the Holy of Holies, there's just this barrier between man and God. That's what it was like for them. But how many of us feel like that when we're going to God, like there's a barrier that he's somehow not receiving us? I remember hearing Andrew Womack, I don't know if you've heard of him, he's a teacher, and he said he would struggle to pray. Um, he would read his Bible, he would worship, and he said, but every day he would pray an hour from seven to eight. And he said, oh, like he, he, was just, he would dread that hour because he wouldn't be able to get through to God. And so he said at about 6.30, one, one day he said, I was just really honest with God. And I said, God, I've got to be really honest with you. I dread that hour when I have to pray. I dread it from about 6.45. And then he felt like God said to him, I start to dread it from 6. 
<laughs> he had an incorrect view of God. See, in the old covenant, under the law, they couldn't approach God. Only the high priest could come once a year into the Holy of Holies. Uh, it was solemn. It was scary for anyone even to consider going into the presence of God. When we come to God, are we coming sorry? Are we coming solemn? Are we coming afraid? Do we approach God fearful and sorry? Another little story for you. I heard this story about this, uh, this guy who had a dog, and he, and he took him from like the, um, like the dog trust. And this dog was so uh, abused in his last home that whenever he called the dog to come, he'd be out on the street, he'd be sitting on his step, and he would call the dog to come, and the dog would come, but the dog would come shaking. And the closer he would get, the, the, you know, the shakier he would get, and he would be like head down and, and all of these things. And people were walking down, he said people were walking down the street thinking, what a terrible owner. <laughs> and the dog would come to him all shaking and, and shivering. If people see us and we're coming to God fearful and afraid, they're going to go, what a terrible master they've got. They'll think we're worshipping the Godfather rather than God the Father. That's what will happen. We must have a confidence before God. That's what it says in Hebrews 4.14, right? We have a high priest, a great high priest who has entered heaven. This high priest understands our weaknesses. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. This happened in the American Civil War. Uh, this story might have been said before. I love it though. As a result of a family tragedy, a soldier had been given permission to have a hearing with the president because he wanted to request exemption from military service. But when he arrived at the White House, he was refused entry and he was sent away. And he went to sit in a nearby park. And as he was sitting in this park, a young boy came across to him and just remarked about un how unhappy he looked. And the soldier found himself pouring out his heart to this young guy. And eventually the boy said, look, come with me. And the dejected soldier went back to the White House. They went round the back. None of the guards seemed to stop them. Even the generals and the high-ranking government officials stood to attention and let them pass through. And the soldier was amazed. Finally, they came to the presidential office. Without knocking, they went into the West Wing. The young boy opened the door of the Oval Office, walked straight in, and there was Abraham Lincoln standing there in conversation with the Secretary of State. And the moment they walked in, Abraham Lincoln turned to the boy and he said, Todd, what can I do for you? And Todd said, Dad, this soldier needs to talk to you. The son takes you straight into the presence of the father. You might say, God is holy, but you know what he says? He says, you are holy and blameless in his sight. When you see his nature, how he is towards you, you can approach with confidence. Last thing is your actions. How you believe God is towards you will determine your response to him. It will determine how you act. You know the parable of the talents? What I think so incredible about that is that there's three guys all given talents. Two had one mindset, one had another mindset. See, the two guys that were under grace saw, well, God has given to me the treasures of heaven and he's released me to go out and to invest it. And you know, if you go out in grace, you're always going to get a return on your investment. But one guy said, this, this master is, is a hard and he's and he's a, a tough man, and, you, and we cannot please him. And so the one man who was living under law was paralyzed to serve him. Paralyzed to serve him. See, if you see God as harsh and mean towards you, you will not be able to serve him. It will paralyze you to serve. 
the mindset of the other two was completely different. Do you know the church of Laodicea, when Jesus says, you are neither hot nor cold, and so I spit you out of my mouth because you're lukewarm. Do you know Laodicea, it's right in the middle of two pools of water, two sources of water, one icy cold sea and the hot springs. It's not an accident that Jesus uses this example. And he's saying, I believe he's saying this, look, I'd rather you be cold and completely under the law or be completely hot, be completely under grace. But it's almost like you live in this mix. You think, oh, God is okay today. And then tomorrow, uh, I'm not too sure based on my performance. And he's like, if you go from one to the other, you're just going to be worthless for everything. Just go one or the other. See, if you believe that he is completely 100% good towards you, what's going to produce in your life is a warmth and a heat and a passion and a vibrancy that's going to go out from you to the world. Jesus gives you commands as well. The commands of Jesus, you might say, if I'm not under the law of Moses, but Jesus gives me commands, and, and he does it in John 14, 23, he says, listen, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Jesus says that straight after he tells them that they have direct access to the Father and that he's preparing a place for them in heaven. Only the security of his love towards you can motivate you to, response, to respond in obedience to him. And his commands aren't to weigh heavy on you, but to liberate you so you can encounter God. Do you know the queen, whenever she sends out an invitation to Buckingham Palace, she says, by command of the queen, you are invited. By command of the queen, you are invited into her presence. See, every command that Jesus gives you is an invitation to encounter, an in invitation to experience, an invitation to liberation. He says things like, bless your enemies, right? Have you tried it? Yesterday, I sold my car to Del Boy and Rodney. <laughs> really. And they were, they were terrible, terrible people. It's okay, it's true. And they really, they really took me for a ride. And I was, I was angry afterwards that I sold my car to these guys. And I was sitting there and I thought... I need to really switch my attitude here because this is killing me. And so I just started to bless them. I just started to bless them. But you know who was liberated? Me. See, if we do what Jesus says, we are liberated, we experience him, we encounter him. When we know his nature, when we know what he is like towards us, when we know what he is like with us, then we can give that away to the world. So this is it, guys. We need to know what God is really like so we can truly reflect, reflect his nature. And that will impact our attitude, our approach, and our actions, and ultimately our witness to the world. God bless you guys. Amen.